Amen. Please have a seat. <clears throat> well, good morning. Please turn in your Bibles to Psalm 65. <clears throat> it's me again, Chris Risk. I'm, uh, I serve as one of the elders here at Faith Church, and I'm filling in this morning for Pastor Mike McDonald. I don't know if you've been keeping track, but I've actually been the New Year guy for four years in a row now. <laughs> to include during the pandemic when you guys saw me up on the big screens when we were going through that. So, um, as, as Pastor Mike was talking about the schedule for, for the holiday season and everything, I was wondering if I was going to keep up the streak and everything. So, I said, do you want me to be the New Year guy again? And he said, yeah. So, I get to keep up a, a tradition here at Faith Church. So, here I am, the New Year's guy, keeping it up. And I, I was up here, actually, on January 1st of 2023, and uh, bring in, preaching the new year in, and here I am on December 31st, preaching the old year out. So I think it's fitting that I take you to Psalm 65, because this psalm is actually a New Year's psalm. Uh, it's one of King David's songs that he, the, he wrote and the children of Israel sang for the, the new year. And as I said, I stood up here in the beginning of 2023, and I, was, I preached Isaiah 43, you know, fear not, for I am with you. I have called you by name. You are mine. And for some people here, 2023 has been a great year. Some, most people here, probably it's been okay. It's been about the same as any other year. But there are people here that 2023 was a huge, huge tragedy. They've had loss and sickness, and 2023 wasn't a good year at all. Some people feel like they've been sucker punched, and they're still not back to 100%. So, at the end of the year, we wonder, what in the world can I praise God for after a year like that? So that's the question. But before we begin, let's pray. Lord, I lift up this time to you. I lift up the whole uh, service to you. Thank you so much for your wisdom. Thank you so much for your provision. And thank you so much for taking care of us all through this past year and bringing us here to this day. Please teach us with your spirit, through your word, and lift you, we lift you high and lift it up and ask for your blessing on the whole service that we have this morning. Bring us into your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. Psalm 65, to the choir master, a psalm of David, a song. And this is, uh, here we are on December 31st, the end of the year, and time for our next year coming up. But the people singing this song, the children of Israel didn't se separate their year by December 31st and January 1st, these folks were farmers and livestock ranchers, and they ended the year with, when the crops came in. So their year ended and began round about the October time frame. And so we need to look at this psalm through an agricultural time uh, lens. We call it the new year. They called it Rosh Hashanah, and it was based on the harvest season. And the end of the harvesting of the crops and the grapes and the wool, that was the end of their year. And we don't really know if David wrote this to be a New Year's song, but we do know that as tradition went on, this became a song that the children of Israel would sing when the year transitioned over. So there's several different kinds of song, psalms in the Bible. There's uh, Psalms where the singer's in trouble. There's songs where, that are about the attributes of God, God. And there's also imprecatory psalms that ask God for his judgment. But this psalm, Psalm 65, is nothing but pure, undiluted, concentrated praise. 
This psalm doesn't ask for anything. It doesn't describe the foolish man or the wicked ruler. It just praises God. So the thing we need to ask ourselves this morning at the end of the year is, can we sing this psalm also? And if not, why not? None of these things that we're singing about here in this psalm are based on our mood on our feelings or anything. They are all things that are solid and true about God no matter what. And so our main thought for this is we praise God for His salvation, His power, and His provision in the midst of all circumstances. And a key word that you're going to see as we read through Psalm 65 is going to be you, 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 you. And he's talking about God, singing about God. Psalm 65 is not going to ignore anyone's pain, but instead it's going to shift our eyes up to Him and stay on Him. And there are several things here to praise God for no matter what. First of all, praise to God the Savior. Verse 1, praise is due to you, O God in Zion, and to you all vows will, and to you shall all vows be performed. To you who hear prayer, to you shall all flesh come. So, two things we need to understand is God as a Savior. And the first one is that He hears prayer. No other God hears prayer because no other God really exists. There's something that we can praise Him for. Because He exists, He hears prayer. And because of that, vows shall be performed to Him, keeping your word to God. When you came to Him, you said He was Lord. You said that, didn't you? Romans 10.9 says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. He said to follow him. You said you would. Keeping our vows to him is that. But also, verse 2, to you shall all flesh come. And the second thing we praise God as a Savior for is that he calls out to the whole world, everyone. This is what the whole world can have. He is lifted up and calls to all flesh to come to him. All the world needs to pray to him, not because we're better and not because we're more righteous or because we are smarter or anything. And not over death threats, do this or you're dead. It's because he is the only God. And none of that would be possible. We would not be able to pray to him. We would not be able to come to him because there's a problem. We are all sinful people. So what we need to be is right with God first. Look at verse 3. When iniquities prevail against me, you atone for our transgressions. Blessed is the one you choose and bring near to dwell in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, the holiness of your temple. Praise is due to him, and all flesh can come to him because he atones. Here is the gospel in the Old Testament. The gospel is actually lots of places in the Old Testament, and this is one right here. It talks about iniquities being atoned for by God, by O God in Zion. Number one thing you can praise God for, no matter what the circumstances is, that he atoned for your iniquities. You've got a hundred problems in your life, but being lost and condemned for all eternity is not one of them. Out of all the things that you can praise him for, that is one at the top of the list. And look at what David says about his iniquities. They prevail against me. And this is the same word, prevail. This is the same word in Genesis when it talks about the flood prevailing over the whole earth. Every living human knows what that means, sin drowning us, drowning in sin. We don't want to sin. We want to obey God. But iniquities prevail over us. 
For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do what I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Romans chapter 7 says that. And here we're stuck, fighting the flesh and feeling the guilt when we fail. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? O God in Zion. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. God's people can praise Him because He provides atonement, and too many people take that for granted. A lot of us have been Christians for decades. Salvation is like the ocean that we swim in, and we forget too often how horrible it would be if we didn't have it. David was not a perfect man. It's a wonder he's a hero of the Bible, because David took a man's wife and had her husband killed. David was not allowed to build a temple because he was a bloody man of war. But David repented. David confessed his sin. David cried out. You read it in Psalm 51. How could he be happy and praise God? Because his sins were atoned for. Now, what does atone mean? Well, the word in Hebrew literally means to cover. And it not just cover like an umbrella over the top of your head. I mean cover entirely. This is the same word in uh, Genesis chapter 6 when God told Noah to build an ark. And he told it to cover it inside and out with pitch. Same word. Here that says atoned. Encased in atonement. Wrapped in atonement. Even hidden in atonement. This is the same word that's used in Leviticus 16 when God told Moses that the high priest was to go into the Holy of Holies with the blood of the sacrifice and pour it on the mercy seat. The Ark of the Covenant was a box, and inside the box there were two tablets. They were the tablets that Moses brought down from Mount Sinai. And on top of the mercy seat there were two cherubim. Cherubim represent the holiness of God, and on the top facing each other and looking down as if they were looking at the law. The law condemns, but once a year on Yom Kippur... The day of atonement, the day of covering, same word, the high priest covered the top of the mercy seat with the blood of the sacrifice. So you see the picture? The cherubim are no longer looking at the law that condemns, they're looking at the blood of the atonement that covers it. That is the same word. That is the gospel in the Old Testament. The whole word translated mercy seat comes from covering, atonement. The same thing, God's people are covered. You ever want to pay for something? Here, not. It's covered. I was in the Air Force for 23 years, and we moved 10 times in 23 years. And the government always paid for our move, paid for the movers, paid for mileage for us to drive to the new assignment and everything. One time we got assigned to Alaska, and instead of driving all the way up the Alcan, we took the ferry system up to Alaska, the Alaska Marine Highway, they call it. We got on the boat in Bellingham, Washington, got off in Haines, Alaska, four days, three nights, covered. Storage for the car on the ferry, covered. Cabin on the, on the boat, covered. Killer whales out the left-hand side of the boat. British Columbia out the right-hand side of the boat, covered. You're covered. God's people are covered. And not just covered because it is finished. Covered for the duration of the trip ride. The atonement is covered for all eternity. Psalm 103 says, God threw our sins as far as the east is from the west. Hebrews 8.12 says, For I will be merciful towards their iniquity, and I will remember their sins no more. What does that look like? What is that like to have your sins remembered no more? It's not on the record. It's as if you didn't do it. I'm going to totally steal a story from Warren W. Wearsby. 
Okay, at least I'm citing my sources. He tells a story about a guy in England. This is, this is in the 1920s when cars were still pretty new. This guy bought a Rolls-Royce automobile that he was going to tour Europe with. And so he got, bought this car, and he's touring through Europe in his Rolls-Royce, and it broke down. And nobody around could fix a Rolls-Royce. So he had to call <clears throat> back to the factory, and they had to send a, a mechanic to come down and fix his Rolls-Royce. So this mechanic is fixing his car, and he's thinking to himself, this is going to cost a fortune. You know, sending this guy down, spare parts, labor, and everything. But the mechanic gets him on the road, and he finishes his tour of Europe. But he expects that there's going to be this whopping bill you know, in his mail when he gets back home. And there was no bill in his mail. So he's a Christian man, you know, integrity. So he writes to the Rolls-Royce company and he says, what's the damage? What do I owe you for fixing my car? And the Rolls-Royce automobile company sent him this letter. Rolls-Royce Motor Car Company, West Hampton, England. Dear sir, thank you for your letter inquiring billing of maintenance on your Rolls-Royce automobile. In answer to your question, we show no record in our file of your Rolls-Royce automobile breaking down or needing a mechanic to visit it, to repair it. In fact, we have no record in our files of any Rolls-Royce automobile ever breaking down in any place at any time for any reason. That's what atonement looks like. There's no record of it. That's what happened to David when his atonement, when his atonement happened to him. That's what happened to you when Jesus atoned for you. It's as if you never sinned. There's no record of it. It's as if the old you, and this is easy to say, but it's hard to do. It's as if the old you died. No matter what you've gone through in 2023 or will go through in 2024, you can still praise God for that. Praise is due to you. Vows will be performed to you. Why? Verse 4, because blessed is the one you choose to bring near to dwell in your courts, We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, the holiness of your temple. Praise is due to God for atonement, so that you may be blessed and brought near to dwell in his courts, so that his people can be satisfied with the goodness of his house, the holiness of his temple. And that is a daily walk that we all have to do. God's people are called the chosen people. He chose them to bless them and bring them in to dwell with him. And that's a hard thing to live, but it's true that God's people dwell in his house wherever we go. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? And you may not feel it in this upcoming year, but it's still true. And you got there not because you feel it, but because he chose you and brought you there where? Covered in His grace, hidden in His grace. Colossians 3.3 3 says, you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God and our entire lives as Christians are spent just trying to stay hidden in Him because we keep on popping out. Dwelling in His courts, satisfied with the goodness of His house, not this house, not this building. This is just the building where we meet. This building doesn't snap off and go with you, but the holiness of his temple can. And David knew this. David would sit alone in fields watching sheep. The same fields, by the way, that shepherds were abiding in when angels came and announced that Jesus had been born. Same fields. David knew that even out there he was in the holiness of his temple. Praise him for that. 
But also look at verses 5 through 8. Praise God for His power. Verse 5, by awesome deeds you answer us with righteousness, O God of our salvation, the hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas, the one who by his strength established the mountains, being girded with might, who stills the roaring of the seas, the roaring of the waves, the tumult of the peoples, so that those who dwell in the ends of the earth are in awe of your signs. You make the going out of the morning and the evening to shout for joy. This is an amazing thing about this psalm, about Psalm 35. God of our salvation, the hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas. How much did God create? Everything. Who did he create? Everybody. And we know here and in other places that God cares about the entire world. 1000 B.C., David is writing this, and he is saying, O you who who hear prayer, to you shall all flesh come. And then in verse 5, the hope of all the ends of the earth. And then again in verse 8, to those who dwell in the ends of the earth are in awe of your signs. David knew that God's plan was for the whole world to know him and hope in him. God has always cared for the Gentile world. Always. It was a massive sin that the Pharisees did that they had such a bigotry against Gentiles in Jesus' time. God's people were always supposed to be the light to the whole world. And we praise the powerful God because of two things. First of all, we praise Him for His call to the world. Look at verse 8. So that those who dwell in the ends of the earth are in awe of your signs. God split the Red Sea. That was an awesome sign. Why? Why did He do it? Well, not just to deliver the children of Israel out of Egypt, but to let the Gentile world see it and stand in awe of Him. To the ends of the earth to see Romans 1, the whole world needs to see God's power and praise the Creator rather than the creation. He has a call to everyone, and here is how He does it. We praise God for His power on display. Let me give you just one example. One example of God's power on display used as evangelism. I want you to keep your finger in Psalm 65, and I want you to go to Joshua chapter 2. Joshua chapter 2, God's awesome power being used as evangelism for all the ends of the earth. Joshua chapter 2, verse 9, and this is the part where Rahab is uh, hidden two spies. They're in Jericho. They've come to Jericho. She hid them, and now the coast is clear, and they're about to leave, and uh, she says this. Now, this is a Gentile pagan harlot who is saying these words. She had heard about the Red Sea parting. And she had heard about the children of Israel coming through the wilderness. And she says this to these two spies. Joshua 2, verse 9. And said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land. Stop right there for a minute. You see in your Bibles where it has Lord in all caps like that? That's where the English translators are translating the word Yahweh. I am that I am. The covenant name of God. This is how they translate it into English for us. She is saying that she is, knows the covenant name of God. This is a huge deal. A pagan Gentile woman knows the name of the living God. Rahab is saying, I know that Yahweh has given you the land and that fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and that you, what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord, your God, he is God. 
in the heavens above and in the earth beneath, and that is God's power on display is supposed to do. It melts things. Two times she says that it's melted us. It melts things. God's power and God's majesty and his light does things like that. Hardens the Play-Doh, melts the crayons. That's what David is talking about. You can go back to Psalm 65 now. You know that Rahab was David's great, great, great grandmother, right? When you go through the Bible in 2024, and you're going to go through the Bible in 2024, right? Um, When you get to the Gospels and you get to all those long genealogies, don't skip over those. Those are important. Those are there for a reason. And you'll see Rahab's name in the lineage of the Messiah. A Gentile pagan harlot is in the genealogy of the Messiah because she knew the covenant name of God because she had seen God's power on display. That's what God's people at the end of the year are singing about. Worldwide evangelism, outreach, giving hope, the hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas, so that those who dwell in the ends of the earth are in awe of your sign. And there's something that you have to understand about the the pagan religions of the Middle East at this time. These pagan religions around there uh, used to think of their gods, little g, they used to think of their deities as local you know, uh, if, you, if you went down to Egypt or you went to Babylon or something, the, there's completely different gods down there. You'll have to find out who the local gods are and pray to them while you're there. Okay, which sounds profoundly silly to us. You know, Kamosh and Molech and Baal were just powerful locally. It's like, you know, I'm a god here in Rio Rancho, but down in Las Lunas I'm powerless. You know, that's not a god. That's not a deity that we think about. There's a story in 1 Kings 20 where the Syrians were fighting Israel, and they were getting their rear ends handed to them. And this is the line of reasoning they used. Well, you know, their God, the Israelites' God, is a God of the mountains. So, you know, if we fight them in the valleys, uh, we'll win after that. Well, no, they got their butts kicked in the valleys too because God is God everywhere. You have to understand what a profoundly significant thing that, that Israel was saying when they were saying that Yahweh was El Shaddai, that he was God Almighty, God everywhere. And it's important to see that it's not just a call because I'm ordering you to obey me. He can be your source of joy. He's not simply the creator who established the mountains, being girded with might, who stills the roaring of the seas, the roaring of the waves, the tumult of the peoples. He is creator of you. And he knows what makes you sad or angry or frustrated. And he knows he can be your greatest source of joy The Creator can be the one to make the going out of the morning and the evening to shout for joy. He was for David. He was for the people singing this at the end of the year. You make the going out of the morning and the evening to shout for joy. So we praise the powerful God, the Creator, because of His call to the world, but also by awesome deeds with righteousness. Like what? Like His strength established the mountains, who stills the roaring of the seas. Stills the roaring of the seas and the roaring of the waves. Does that sound like anybody you know? Jesus calming the waves. And I want you to remember something when you read the New Testament, because you're going to read the New Testament this year, right? Um, When you read the New Testament, the miracles that Jesus does are not just because he has sympathy for the people that he's helping. He has sympathy and love for the people that he heals and raises from the dead, but he didn't calm the waves just to keep the boat from sinking. He did it so that you it would prove who he was. 
He healed the deaf and raised the dead to prove who he was. I mean, um, that's what he did his mighty deeds for. And I'm thinking back in Matthew 11 when John the Baptist was in prison. John the Baptist knew that Jesus was the Messiah. He knew that uh, he had seen the Holy Spirit descend on him like a dove. Uh, He had uh, said, you know, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So John the Baptist was right along with everybody else, though, when he thought that when Messiah came, he was going to rule the world. So why am I sitting here now in a prison cell? Why isn't anybody coming down here and unlocking me and letting me go? So he really, really wondered, and he was puzzled why he was sitting in a jail cell when Messiah had come. So he sent messengers to, to Jesus to ask that question. Did we get our eschatology wrong? You know, do, do we, uh, are you the Messiah, or are we supposed to expect another one? And Jesus answers the question. He answers it to these two men, and he says to them, see for yourself. He says, go and tell John what you see and hear. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended to me, by me. That is Jesus' answer to, are you the Messiah? Look at what I'm doing. Who can do that? Con men? Go ask the people who got their hearing back or their sight back if they were in on the act, you know, to con people out of money or something. Who can raise the dead? And I don't mean dead, a guy that flatlined 20 minutes ago. I'm talking about a guy that died four days ago and is already starting to stink. Who can do that? Satan? You know who tried to say that it was Satan doing the miracles? Pharisees. And that was a huge sin that they were doing. Satan never raised anybody from the dead. Jesus did these things, and you can only truthfully come up with one answer of who he must be if he's able to do that. Or he delegated humans to be able to do things like that. But they always prefaced it with, in Jesus' name, in the name of Jesus. The apostles evangelized with signs and wonders. It was a mark of a true apostle when he was accompanied with signs and wonders. Why? So that you would listen to what they said. God puts his power on display so that you will stop and listen to him. By his spirit teaching you with his word, by his strength establish the mountains, he girded with might, he stills the roaring of the seas, the roaring of the waves, the tumult of the people. Why? So that those who dwell in the ends of the earth are in awe of his signs. You make the going out of the morning and the evening to shout for joy. He is God. He is God the Son, and he has proven it. When you see a watch, you know that there must have been a watchmaker. That's what's going on whether you are in the mood or not. When you are hurt, when you are pain, when you are alone, look up. His strength is on display all around us. And he calms. Look at what he calms. The roaring of the seas, the roaring of the waves, the tumult of the peoples. And that's going on whether you see it with your eyes or not. He is calming the tumult of the people. Your Bible might say the turmoil of the nations. Tumult here is sometimes translated as uproar. In other places, it's translated multitude. This is the same word that God used when he talked to Abraham, and he said, I'm going to make you a multitude of nations. The idea is that it's a lot. It is massive. It is overwhelming, maybe even confusing, loud, and terrifying. It's a tumult. It's a turmoil. It's an uproar, and it's a multitude And God is to be praised because he calms all that. What does he calm? He calms roaring seas, roaring waves, and the multitude uproar of people. He calms down weather, and he calms down people. David had seen that. David had seen Saul at his worst, and David had seen 
God calm Saul down. He had seen all his adversaries and enemies just go away. David had seen his whole country and his son rebel against him. He had to leave the city, but God had calmed the tumult. Of the, and in the end, the people were ashamed of themselves, and they begged him to come back. And all these people had seen, the people singing this, had seen Philistines and Amalekites and Midianites trying to invade them and raiders coming to abuse them, but God had calmed all of it. I've been around long enough to see the news go round and round, and people will say, this is it. This is the end. It's the end of Western civilization right here. When I was two years old, the Russians put nuclear missiles on Cuba. I was in a crib, but my dad was in the Air Force, and we were going to go to nuclear war. But God calmed the tumult of the peoples. When I first joined the Air Force, the Soviet Union was still a big deal. And I was, a, I was in radar as a career field, and my first job was early warning against ICBMs coming over the North Pole to nuke us all. We used to train daily to expect that. It was not far-fetched. But God calmed the tumult of the people. His purposes will not be stopped. There is no earthly nation that has any power except what God allows. Proverbs 21.1 says, The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord, and he turns it wherever he will. Praise him for that. Don't be depressed over the news. Don't be afraid. And don't be angry. I'm not saying to be indifferent about the news. I'm not saying not to vote or anything or stand your ground. I am saying, though, that we are salt and light in the world. Nations and politicians and celebrities aren't in charge around here. God is. Nothing happens that he doesn't allow for his holy purposes. We can trust him. His power is on display. The praise is for God who is sovereign. And this isn't new. This isn't going away. God is in control and Lord of everything. Just like the passage that we read from Colossians this morning. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things hold together. You have no idea how much worse it would be if he were not restraining it with his powerful hand. Notice that all through the psalm, there's no imperatives. It's not an order. It's a description. This psalm is not a prayer request. It's an affirmation of God's actions and grace and provision. He seeks worshipers from all over the earth. So he displays his power, his creation, all over the earth. It's his call. Because he's creator, he is Lord of the mountains, the oceans, and all the peoples to the ends of the earth, he can be trusted as God the provider. Praise to God the provider. Verse 9. You visit the earth and water it. You greatly enrich it. The river of God is full of water. You provide their grain, for so you have prepared it. You water its furrows abundantly, settling its ridges, softening it with showers, and blessing its growth. You crown the year with your bounty. Your wagon tracks overflow with abundance. Look at all the water. Water is a big deal in the Middle East. God blessed them greatly with a simple thing like rivers full of water, the earth greatly enriched with water, furrows filled with water. These folks were farmers, and they didn't have Albertsons to go and get a loaf of bread from. Everything they ate, they had to grow themselves, and they did. And so God provided so much that your wagon tracks overflow with your bounty. The picture here is a wagon that is loaded so much with grain and crops that it's busting out of the side of the wagon and it's filling up the tracks of the wagon and behind him. Praise God as the one who visited it, watered it, and enriched it. These people are singing this because it was all true. 
they plowed the ground, they planted the seed, they picked all the crops at the end of the year, but who are they singing praise to? Not themselves, not to Mother Nature. People talk today about how, what a beautiful thing it would be if we worship the earth and the sun and the trees. We're one with nature. It's so beautiful. Do you know what societies in history who used to worship the trees and the suns and the rocks used to do? It would not be long until they sacrificed a guy and threw him in the bog for a better crop. You've heard the stories, throwing a virgin into a volcano so that it wouldn't erupt or anything. Aztecs used to take prisoners of war and rip their hearts out and throw them to the gods. Why? Well, to stop the drought, duh. For better crops, better season, for rains, for livestock, and have a better year than the last one. Sounds beautiful, worshiping nature, doesn't it? But it's like communism. It sounds good, but it doesn't work. It's not practical. Every society that has ever worshipped nature has ended up being afraid of nature, scared of the rocks and the spirits and the trees and the rivers. And you hear these stories about how awful it is that missionaries have gone to the nations and preached the gospel, and they'll wail about how awful it was that these poor innocent people had such a beautiful life worshipping the sun and the trees. And then Christians showed up. You know, and then if you ever ask the people who were worshiping the trees and the rocks what they think, and you can find out their answer in books like Peace Child and Tip of the Spear, ask them what they thought. And they were relieved. I don't have to be afraid of the tree spirits anymore. I don't have to be afraid of the sun killing me someday because he's angry with me. Nobody should have to live like that. God is not a God that is part of nature. He is a God who created nature to feed us, to show us his love, to clothe us. God's people live under the God who loves them and provides for them with God's care. Verse 9, you visit the earth and water it. You greatly enrich it. The river of God is full of water. You provide their grain, for so you have prepared it. You water its furrows abundantly, settling its ridges, softening it with showers and blessing its growth. You crown the year with your bounty. You, you, you. We're talking to God here. The end of the year is crowned by his bounty this morning. We live this life where corn comes from the store. Corn, corn chips, corn flakes, corn tortillas, you know, not to mention corn fructose. That comes from corn. That, that, that's in, that counts. The only thing we really know personally is that the price has gone up since a year ago. Not a lot of us know about agriculture or irrigation or anything. It just happens <clears throat> out there in Nebraska somewhere. But everything on your plate and in the glass came from a farmer. And we can thank them all day long. But the farmer, if he's wise, will give all the credit to God because God will not fail. Farmers have been known to fail. Farmers have been known to help too much. My grandfather grew up in Oklahoma my grandfather had to leave Oklahoma because of the o Oklahoma Dust Bowl. You ever heard of the Oklahoma Dust Bowl? This is where people dug up all the trees and the, and the, and the plant life and the grass and everything. And what did it, plants that were supposed to bind the soil together. And it made Oklahoma into one great big dirt cloud. They tried to help. They messed with God's provision and it ruined the landscape. God already has a plan to visit the earth and water it, greatly enrich it. The water of the earth is, of God is full of water. You provide the grain, for so you have prepared it. And people fight his plan, 
Don't. Just go along with this plan. In our backyard, we have nothing but plants that are indigenous to New Mexico. You know, desert willows, uh, butterfly bushes, and things like that. Because we have learned not to fight the West Mesa anymore, okay? We tried, we tried lilacs back there, died. We tried tomato plants, tasted awful, and died. We tried a peach tree back there one time. That was dumb. But now we embrace God's abundance. Verse 12, the pastures of the wilderness overflow. The hills gird themselves with joy. The meadows clothe themselves with flocks. The valleys deck themselves with grain. They shout and sing together for joy. The pastures of the wilderness overflow. How does that happen? Wilderness overflowing. Well, it's hyperbole. It's kind of like the hills are alive with the sound of music, right? If that were literal, you'd tell them to turn it down. These, these are pictures of God's power and provision, and it is over the top. The hills are, gird themselves with joy. All nature is wrapped up in joy. You'd think it was clothed in it. The meadows clothe themselves with flocks, flocks of sheep. There are, these people are farmers, and they've got livestock, and there are so many sheep out there covering the meadows that they can't even see the ground. The valleys deck themselves with grain. Look at it all, overflowing and girded themselves with joy, singing and shouting together with joy. That is what these people had, and they didn't have it forever. But they had it when a guy like David was sitting on the throne, and he made sure that there was plenty of praise and worship music for them to lift up God who was to be thanked for it. Now, we don't have flocks and farmlands, but we do have the produce on the plate. Everything on your plate came from a farm, and there's people out there that say that we should get rid of farms. Good luck with that. But we would be in so much trouble if we didn't have God's blessing on farms. God feeds us and clothes us, and he does it through his means. You visit the earth and water it. You greatly enrich it. The river of God is full of water. You provide the grain for so you have prepared it. You water its furrows abundantly. And without him doing it, we are in big trouble. He blesses us. He blesses us with railroad cars that distribute the produce, trucks that bring it to the warehouses, and then the stores. I hope you know that when you say grace for your lunch today, how easily all of that could stop. That's not unbelievable. I mean, you remember during the pandemic how you couldn't get toilet paper or paper towels or anything. One time during the pandemic, Becky sent me down to the store to get some yeast so that she could bake some bread, and I waited in the lines, you know, six feet apart from everybody, finally got into the store, no yeast. It was all bought. How quickly all of that can just stop. And that's nothing. My point is that we live our lives in a world that knows plenty of abundance and so many different choices of sliced cheese and breakfast cereals and everything. And we don't even think about how it got there or who it was that made it possible. God is being very kind to us. He's being very kind to us and to people who don't even know him or outright rebel against him. But God sends his brain on the just and the unjust and he could stop it if he wanted to, but for now, he's still blessing. God shed his grace on thee. And even though you're not plowing the fields or slopping the hogs, you could show some praise for the God who is keeping you alive. And he will. Psalm 37, 25 says, I have been young and now am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. Don't be afraid. He's got you covered. Praise him for that. Let's pray. We lift you high this morning at the end of our year, and thank you so much that you crown this year with your bounty. We ask you to just forgive us if ever we complain, if ever we are um, 
unsatisfied or ungrateful, we lift you up and praise you and ask you to keep, keep it going because we love you and we honor you. Thank you so much for 2023, and please be with us in 2024. We dedicate the year coming up to you. Be high and lifted up. Thank you so much, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.